0: For all things land development, planning and property, this is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. To find out how Ian can help you, visit propertyonfire.co.uk. Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's episode of Property on Fire. So what do we have coming up on today's episode? Well, we're going to be talking about elevations on the prior approval in a question from Janella, And Angie has a question about the exemption from EPC ratings. In my A to Z I'll be talking about angel investors and my rant this week is about the lack of respect and help to buy features again in my news update. Oh and I'll give you another update this week from a couple of our sites. So without further ado let's get started but before we do please do like, review and subscribe to this podcast and come with me on this property journey. Right, so I'm going to kick off this week's episode with a couple of updates from two of our sites. Now, the site in North Devon, you may recall, we recently purchased and we are developing 14 new build bungalows on that site over the next 18 months or so. One task that I will be doing this week is to actually write to each and every one of the local residents as I firmly believe it's important to keep the residents up to date to let them know where and when we'll actually be doing any major works on the site and also give them a point of contact so that they can actually reach out to us if needed. When I've done this in the past, it's been very useful because when we've actually had issues on the site and we've not actually been there, residents have actually contacted us out of their own free will to actually let us know about problems and as a result we've been able to act far quicker than if we just had to wait until someone actually went and visited the site so i will be contacting all the residents on a regular basis throughout the build process until we've actually left site and completed the entire project and the first thing i have to let them know is about the demolition of a barn we've submitted the building control notice 80 to actually take effect and so we can actually go and demolish that before we do demolish it however we do need to remove some asbestos from the roof and make sure that that is obviously safe the other decision that we've had to make this week is having to decide between air source heat pumps and installing gas on the site we do have gas locally so in itself that wouldn't have been a problem however as part L of the building regs is going to be changing from 2023 and this will feature a 31% reduction in carbon emissions for all new homes from 2023. We have therefore decided that we're actually going to go for air source heat pumps despite the additional 7,000 additional cost per property. We actually feel that by giving the green a greener solution is better for the site and potentially better for sales, despite us not being obliged to undertake those changes yet. I think we're all having to move away from gas, and come 2025, we'll no longer be able to connect directly to the gas supply on new properties anyway. Now, moving on to our other site, which is, you may recall, is a commercial conversion, uh, a former county council office block and we are currently still completing the completion of converting this to initially 22 flats but we will be going up and adding some more flats above and part of that is having to review this week the architect's drawings for four new duplex flats in the airspace above the flats that we've already created. Now this will create four two bed duplex flats or units and we'll have at least one large balcony for each flat and in fact one of the flats will actually have two balconies uh, facing different directions which which will make it rather very very nice flat there but obviously we have to go out to tender uh, for the build of this phase and part of that is actually to review all the plans from our architects and to make sure that our QS can put together the tender pack and everything else that we will require in the coming days. This week, I'm going to have a look at a couple of news items that are in the press and also being talked about on social media and in Clubhouse. But right, first of all, to do with help to buy, and as you may be aware, the current help to buy scheme ends at the end of March of this year, 31st of March. And up until now, the government has always said that completions must take place by the 31st of March 2021. However, having done a U-turn, which I must admit is highly unusual for the government, Um, They are now extending the completion, the legal completion, until the 31st of May 2021. Now, back in January, the government did actually say that they would not be extending the legal completion deadline beyond the 31st of March 21. And now they have done. They have extended to the 31st of May 21. However, to be honest, I can't see them actually extending it again as this is now two months beyond the end of the scheme. So if you do have a new property that you are waiting to get completed, and you have people that have been successful in getting help to buy this this year, then you do now have another couple of months to actually complete that, get that fully signed off, uh, practical completion, building regs, etc. and allow people to actually complete and then move in but they will have to have done it all by the 31st of May 2021. In other news this week, ministers, or generic to be precise, but I've mentioned him an awful lot of times on Property on Fire. Um, He has actually announced this week that an extra £3.5 billion in funding will be made available to fix dangerous cladding on high-rise residential blocks within England. This money is going to go into the government's building safety fund, which is a pot designed to pay for work removing unsafe cladding for blocks of 18 metres and higher, which is round about 59 feet or so. And typically this is buildings of more than six storeys. Now, this money will not fund further aspects of fire safety work, and it does unfortunately only cover England. It will also not cover work on lower rise buildings. Now the good news is that nobody in buildings above 18 metres will have to pay anything towards removing cladding. Whereas those in low rise blocks between four and six storeys will have costs capped at £50 per month per property. But unfortunately if you are in a building that has less than four storeys then I'm afraid there is no contribution at all. So you may be asking, how is this $3.5 in extra funding being paid for? Well, it probably won't come as any surprise that the developer will need to stick his hand or her hand in their own back pocket to pay for this. And this is going to be through a new tax on builders from 2022 which the government says will raise over £2 billion over 10 years. And this will be within a levy where developers who are seeking permission to build these high-rise blocks of flats will need to pay this levy. So don't pay it too much. If you're going to be building smaller properties or anything else, then yes, you won't be included with this levy. It's only those developers who are going to be building tall high-rise buildings after 2022 it's worth pointing out that some estimates put the overall cost of replacing cladding on buildings in england to over 15 billion pounds so this three and a half billion pounds which has just been announced this week by the government to be honest is just a drop in the ocean and of course this follows the tragic fire back in june 2017 at Grenfell. And one final bit of news this week. Um, It may have come to no surprise to any of you that the ban on evictions has now been extended until the end of March. Uh, The ban was originally due to end on the 22nd of February, which would then have allowed evictions to take place, but this has now been extended once again to the end of March. Now, as usual i have been sent various questions um, these are either coming in via email to ian at propertyonfire.co.uk or they're being tweeted to me at property on fire it doesn't matter how you get hold of me but if you do have questions then feel free to get in touch um, i ought to also add that i'm still on clubhouse i'm on there every single morning Seven days a week all being well from seven a m to nine a m and you'll also find me also on Clubhouse on a Monday evening from six thirty uh, talking about all things commercial conversions and planning and on every Tuesday evening, myself, Richard Little and Brindy Little will be hosting a room entitled "Land Planning." and Development, and that will be from 7pm every Tuesday, so you're more than welcome to join me and ask any questions you like on Development uh, to either Richard, Brian or myself every Tuesday evening from 7pm, and this is of course on Clubhouse. Right, on to the first email that I have received this week, and this has been sent by Janella Laura. So thank you, Janella, for your email. And Janella says, I have enjoyed your contributions on the coffee mornings. Well, thank you very much, Janella. It's really appreciated. I have an issue which I wanted to get your advice on. I'm doing a class O conversion of first and second floor offices above some shops to four one-bed flats. They're each about 30 square metres. Now, I submitted the prior approval, which was received by the Council on the 3rd of February 2021. However, they are saying it is invalid because we did not submit elevations. As a result of this, we are submitting the elevations today. My concern is that by the time they receive the elevations, and if they validate it at that time, then 56 days will take us beyond the 6th of April, when minimum space standards come in force. So what I'm asking is, am I correct that validation date remains the 3rd of February and not when they receive the elevations? Or if they did validate it on, say, the 14th of February and 56 days takes us to after the 6th of April, is it sufficient that prior approval was submitted before the minimum standards? Okay, Janelle, there's a few uh, different questions actually buried within this. First of all, you are correct that there is a 56-day period from when the application is actually submitted. This has to be a valid application. And therefore, if your application is not valid, then the clock, quite rightly, doesn't actually start ticking. But if your application is actually valid, and you submit it, then that clock will start ticking from the following day after you submitted it. And it is 56 consecutive days, and that doesn't include weekends, holidays, Easter, Christmas, or whenever. It's just 56 continuous days by which the local authority must make a decision on the prior approval, or come back to you and agree with you an extension of that time period as far as your elevations this was actually introduced into the general permitted development order or the gpdo last year it was one of six or seven updates to the gpdo last year and this is actually defined in paragraph w2 subsection bc of part 3 of the gpdo and i will put a link to that within today's show notes. Therefore, I'm afraid Janella, that the local authority is actually quite correct in saying that they can't validate it. However, however, and it is a very big however, um, minimum space standards do not actually come into force until the 6th of April. Therefore, you just need to ensure that your application, which can be validated, as I've already said, is submitted before this date until the 6th of April the minimum space standards are not actually in legislation and to be honest you can only be expected to comply with current legislation. As I said earlier if you resubmit your application tomorrow and it is perfectly valid that clock will start ticking from the day after as long as your planning consultant has complied with all aspects of paragraph W Of Part 3 and as I said earlier the link to that is in today's show notes. So don't panic don't panic you're fine as long as you actually get this submitted before the 6th of April then you will not have to comply with minimum space standards and you'll all be okay so so don't panic. Now it's also worth mentioning that paragraph W2A Part 3 of the GPDO does now require natural light to all habitable rooms. And paragraph X of part 3 describes habitable rooms as means any rooms used or intended to be used for sleeping or living which are not solely used for cooking purposes, but does not include bath or toilet facilities, service rooms, corridors, laundry rooms, hallways, or utility rooms. So please just double check that. Bedrooms, lounges, and living areas, but not kitchens, which are solely used for cooking. So, if they are not kitchen diners, for example, they're fine. So, just check that all the other rooms have natural light and comply with this, Janella, because I would hate for you to have to resubmit it again and perhaps redraw all your drawings. Uh, from your architect please just make sure that that all complies with paragraph w of part three which as said before is in today's show notes if you or your planning consultant is not sure i hope that answers your question Janella, uh and i hope it's laid um, your mind to rest a little bit and that uh, you you needn't worry too much About having to rush that application in. Now, just one final comment on the 6th of April when it starts and having to submit by the 5th of April. It's worth just pointing out that the 5th of April is actually Easter Monday, it's Bank Holiday Monday. So I would honestly recommend that you actually get it submitted by the 1st of April so that the clock actually starts ticking from that date. But don't forget, As long as it is valid, uh, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, Easter Monday, all those days will actually count towards that clock ticking. May you be going to get it in for the 31st of March so that they can actually see it's been received that day and that clock will start ticking from the 1st. But yeah, just make sure you do it. Now, if for some reason that you don't, I do know of an appeal that actually went in And the appeal was won by a gentleman and it was won because he actually deposited his application form through the uh, post box of the local authority and he was okay. However, just to be on the safe side, I would submit it on the 31st or the 1st of April just to be on the safe side. I would hate anybody to miss out on this. This is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. And now, Ian's rant. Right, folks, this is where I get hot under the collar once more. And it's time for another rant. My rant this week is, quite simply, people that do not respect who you are. So let me explain. I don't care whether you're female, whether you're young whether you're old. Each and every one of you deserves respect from your fellow human being, especially in property and, of course, outside of property. Just give a little bit respect for each other. It's not hard, is it? Let me explain what I mean. I have read countless times on forums, and this is coming from ladies, who are perhaps going to view properties or they may be dealing with a tradesman who comes and has a look at a problem they're trying to solve. And quite often these ladies are perhaps accompanied by their business partner. They may be accompanied by their father. They might even be accompanied by their son. It doesn't matter. But what these ladies are finding is that these tradesmen, these estate agents whoever it might be tend to always talk towards the man why 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 if the lady asks a question look at the lady and reply directly to her it is not hard it's not rocket science folks it annoys me it really annoys me but it's not just women not just women it's People perhaps are more senior in years. I'm not a spring chicken anymore, I'm in my 50s and I'm already starting to experience it. But what happens if the person's older? What happens if they're retired and they're doing some renovation or whatever? Give them respect. Give them respect. I don't care how old they are, and it's the same with young people. I've listened to a young man on Clubhouse this week about how he's challenged because he is in his early 20s and of course people are not taking him seriously well i just wish that i had the same get up and go that this young man has and actually doing stuff that he is doing when i was in my early 20s sort of 30 odd years ago i wish i had the courage to go out and do that just as he is so give him respect so I don't care whether young, old, middle-aged, whatever. Just give them all a little bit of respect. That's all I'm asking for, folks, this week. Just respect one another. Treat them how perhaps you would like to be treated yourself. Now, I'm sure you're all wonderful and you've never done it, but perhaps you have done it without realising. Next time, just respect the people. That's all I ask for. And once again, I'm getting hot under the collar ranting here. So I'm going to have a lie down in a second and just cool it off a little bit. But please, please, let's just give each and other, all our fellow human beings, that respect that they each and every one of them deserves. So now if you've got a rant, if somebody gets you hot under the collar and really annoys you, then why not let me know? I can rant for you. I really don't mind. You can tweet me. At Property On Fire, or you can email me in at propertyonfire.co.uk and just share your rant with me. Let's just make 2021 just a little bit better for all our fellow human beings. Our second question this week comes in from Angie and she says: The top flat in a block of three has failed to meet the minimum requirements for letting on the EPC. The flat has solid walls high ceilings and floor-to-ceiling windows. In addition, it has a brand new electric combi boiler. The domestic engineer assessor's recommendations were all financially onerous on the landlord and can I apply for an exemption to the EPC? Thanks Angie for your question this week. Now let's just backtrack a little bit on EPCs so that everyone is up to speed on them. You are going to need an EPC whenever a property is either built, sold or rented. This EPC contains two vital pieces of information. One, information about a property's energy use and typical energy costs. And two, recommendations about how to improve this rating to reduce energy use and indeed save money. As a result of this EPC, every property will be given a rating from A, which is the most efficient, to G, which is the least efficient. And this EPC will be valid for 10 years. Now there are a few buildings that will be exempt from an EPC. And they are from 2013 listed buildings, places of worship, temporary buildings that will be used for less than 2 years, some buildings that are due to be demolished, standalone buildings with floor space of under 50 square meters, industrial sites, workshops, etc, which do not use a lot of energy, holiday accommodation and indeed residential buildings which are not intended to be used or let out for more than four months in a year. But if you do not come under the exemptions here, you are going to need an EPC. And it's just worth pointing out that if you actually opt to get an EPC for any of these buildings, including a listed building, you will need to renew that EPC once it expires after a 10-year period. When we actually come to rent a property, as in the case for Angie's Flat, then the Domestic Minimum Energy Efficiency Standard, or MEES, regulations, they do set a minimum level to which you can actually rent that property out. And as from the 1st of April 2020, it became a legal requirement to have at least an E rating or better within England and Wales. And now this does actually include both new and existing lettings within that property. If you happen to be in Scotland, then you will require an E at least by March 22. Uh, Then in Scotland, from the 1st of April 2022, a new tenancy will require at least a band D, and this will stretch to all properties by the 31st of March 2025. At the moment, similar proposals have been made for England and Wales, but at the moment they are just proposals, and as far as I know, they've not been made into legislation at all. Now, to directly answer Angie's question, within England and Wales, there are now well over 1 million domestic buildings with an EPC rating of F or G. Now, this amounts to 6% of all properties. So it's still quite a few. But if you are stuck with an F or a G property, you may still actually be able to let that property out. And that actually depends as to whether or not you will actually qualify for an exemption. And if you do, then you need to register it on the PRS exemption register. I'm going to go through a few of the exemptions that may well apply to either this flat in question or any other flat that has a rating of either F or G. So the first one is that all relevant energy efficiency improvements have been made. So this is where the landlord has made all the relevant energy efficient improvements that can be made and yet the property still remains substandard. Or you may qualify where the landlord is obliged to obtain a third party's consent to undertake relative improvements. However, they are unable to actually obtain that consent. Or perhaps it's where the tenant refuses to allow the landlord to come in and make the necessary improvements to the flat. Or perhaps making the improvements will actually devalue the flat by more than 5%. If they do, then you may well be able to claim under that exemption. Or perhaps you've just become a landlord. And if you have just become a landlord, then you'll have a six-month exemption period by which you then can go up from an F or a G to E or better. And finally the one that I would imagine that most might come under is a cost cap and here you'll never be required to spend more than three and a half thousand pounds including VAT on energy efficient improvements. However unfortunately if you are able to get third party funding and there are various grants and green deal schemes and similar around then that Cost cap will not apply to you. But if you're unable to access any sort of funding or grants or anything else to improve your property, then you may well qualify under the spending cap of £3,500. And this does include VAT. Now, Angie, if you do feel that the flat in question does qualify under the various exemptions that I've mentioned, then please go to the PRS exemption register to actually seek an exemption. And I will include a link in today's show notes. And if all that sounded like double Dutch, and you would like to see it all written down, then I have created a page at planninggeek.co.uk slash EPC, where I go into much greater detail all about EPCs, and the exemptions and everything else that I've actually discussed on today's episode of Property on Fire. I hope that answered your question, Angie, or at least pointed you in the right direction. But if it didn't, then please feel free to get back in touch with me, as can anybody else at Ian at propertyonfire.co.uk or by tweeting me at Property on Fire. I look forward to receiving communication by whichever method you like this is property on fire with ian walmsley and now ian's a to z of property if you've been following ian's a to z of property over the last few weeks then it will come as no surprise that we are still on the letter a so far we've covered asbestos acv aadt aglv article 2 land aonb amenity space on land and this week we're going to be covering angel finance quite simply an angel investor which can also be known as a private investor seed investor or angel funder stroke finance is a high net worth individual or a sophisticated investor or perhaps family offices who provide financial backing for property small startups or entrepreneurs and typically this is in exchange for ownership equity in the company or in the case of property more likely to be in an SPV. Now I can't really go into how to find an angel investor or angel finance within this podcast as to be honest it is an episode on its own but I am going to be looking to getting an expert in in the coming weeks, to actually go into this in much greater detail for you, in order to find angel investors or angel finance, then quite often you will actually find these people within your own family and friends. So these might be contacts on Facebook, on social media, or at the moment probably on Clubhouse. These funds um, that that these angel investors provide, they could just be one-off investments to help the business or property or whatever it may may it be to actually exist and actually be, be purchased. Or it could be an ongoing injection of money and support to carry the property, the company or whatever it is through initial years or longer. You might be wondering where the term angel actually comes from and know before you start thinking about some floating being with wings Um, with a large smile on its face. Nope, that's not where it came from. One theory is, however, that it came from the Broadway theatre over in New York within the USA, where wealthy individuals gave money to propel and enhance theatrical productions on Broadway. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I'm guessing that was probably about 100 years ago, so the term has stuck ever since. And now it's quite common, especially within property, to refer to angel finance, angel funding, or any of the other forms of this. I hope that was of interest to you. And if it was, then tune in next week in the next episode of Property and Fire, where I will have another Ian's A to Z of property. And you, you never know. One of these weeks, I'll have moved on to B. So many thanks to both Janella and Angie for your questions this week. And don't forget, please do email me those questions to ian at propertyonfire.co.uk. Tweet me at propertyonfire or get hold of me on any of the various social media where you will find me. And if I can help you in your property journey throughout this year, then do please Get in touch. Keep safe, and we'll chat again next Tuesday. Have a wonderful week. Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. Please use your podcast app to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And if you'd like a question answered on a future episode, email Ian at propertyonfire.co.uk.